But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, and is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify, nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Lord, as we turn to your word again and consider these unfathomable, incredible graces that you've given to us, we pray that you would speak truth into our lives, call our attention to what you plainly have spoken through your prophet to us in the scriptures, and God, that we might be changed this day. Amen. Thank you, Preston. Great job. The gospel can be summarized in the solas, the, the alone statements we have on, on the banner. Jim won that lovely shirt this morning that we, according to scripture alone, we are saved by, uh, through grace alone, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, uh, to the glory of God. And this morning's focus is going to be faith alone. According to scripture, we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. We're justified. That word means we are acquitted of guilt <coughs> before God's judgment. We were once condemned, and now we are acquitted in his courtroom. Only by grace through faith, trusting in Christ's finished work. Uh, Martin Luther said this was the very heart of the Protestant Reformation, 500 years ago that we're celebrating and marking all this month, he says, this is it. This is the heart of the Reformation, justification by faith alone. Now, I look out the room, I see a lot of churchgoers, lots of folks that are here on Sunday, so you might be surprised to learn that among uh, American Protestants, we would count ourselves uh, among those Christians uh, dating our history back 500 years to the Protestant Reformation, to get the church back to what the Bible teaches, to what the early church taught, to what Jesus himself taught, you might be surprised to learn that U.S. Protestants are split on core doctrine, namely, sola fide, faith alone, and sola scriptura, scripture alone. The, pre, the uh, Pew Research uh, Institute this past August reported on what American evangelicals and mainline Christians, those would be the two biggest uh, groups of Protestants, believe. And so they had questions they had to choose, A or B. So we've got a couple of, of high school theologians here, choose A or B, which is, which is the right answer? A, faith in God alone is needed to get into heaven, or B, Good deeds and faith in God are needed to get into heaven. 
According to this research, 45% of U.S. Protestants believe faith alone is what gives us access to get us into heaven. 52% said, no, you have to also have good deeds. Among uh, Catholics, it was 17% and 81%. Roman Catholics know the teachings of their church, and they abide by them. Here's another core doctrine about Scripture. A or B? A, the Bible provides all religious guidance Christians need. Sola Scriptura. Give me God's word, that's all I need, 46%. Whereas 52% of U.S. Protestants said, in addition, you need uh, church teachings and traditions. So just do the math with me for a moment. That works out to only a third of Protestants believing in two of our core doctrines, sola fide and sola scriptura. That means that 35% believe in one but not the other. And it means that the rest don't believe either. Folks, this matters because the Bible teaches justification by faith alone is what brings people from every tribe and nation and tongue into a saving, reconciling relationship with God through Christ forever. And the best passage of Scripture that I could point us to to explain to you how critically important this is, not just back then, not just to... Uh, theologians in their ivory towers, but to you and me, here and now, is Galatians chapter 2. Keep your Bible open. Let's look at this passage. This is a letter by the Apostle Paul, wrote, written to a church that he helped plant that's now in modern-day Turkey, probably around 48 A.D., the year of our Lord. And he's mad. And there are other adjectives I would love to use, but I can't from the pulpit he is mad. We're talking red in the face, veins popping off his forehead, that scene in the movie Network, kind of mad. And typically, Paul's letters start kind of warm and fuzzy. Oh, grace and peace to you. And let me just guide you along. And then we're going to get to some heavy-duty teachings. But I just want to start my letter off with some love, not Galatians. It, it crackles with intensity and a fighting spirit. Paul is astonished that the Galatians are being persuaded by false teachers into believing there is such a thing as a second-class Christian. And the, the issue boils down to this. How do the benefits of salvation in Christ become available to us? Uh, put another way, the question boiling down was this. Do you need to be a Jew first in order to become a Christian? And the Jewish followers of Jesus there in Galatia were saying just that. Because they were choosing and saying we should not eat with these Gentile Christians. Why? Because, well, they're unclean. And according to Torah, in order to worship God, you need to be ceremonially clean. And so they were withdrawing. And to the men, they took it a step further. They said, and this includes uh, being circumcised in order to be acceptable for fellowship with God and with us. So they were declaring this idea that there could be second-class Christians. And this was leading to a split in the, this fledgling church. 
Now the damage was compounded when the Apostle Peter, the numero uno apostle, and Barnabas, when they showed up in Galatia, and it was dinner time, they withdrew from the Gentiles as well. Ooh, thank you for your invitation. I think we'll sit over here with our kind. The circumcised Christians were snubbing the uncircumcised ones, and Paul could see where this was heading, that it would be much worse than simply a church split. He saw the outcome of the Galatians' thinking. By stressing their Jewish heritage, they were devaluing the sacrifice of Christ, of what Christ had accomplished. They would start trusting in their own human effort in keeping the law to gain access to God. And if this continued, Paul knew that the very bedrock of the faith would crumble. Faith in Christ would be just one step in many in salvation, not the only one. And so the false teachers that were coming into the church in Galatia were saying something like this. Faith in Jesus Christ is fine. But a circumcised person who keeps uh, the law of Torah, that's way better. And much worse than a a church split or or even our innate human tendency to to gain faith, to look down on people. That's something that we can all kind of raise our hands and say, this is what we do. We say, okay, you're in coach, you go to the back, you're in first class, you can sit right here. That's just naturally what people do. Much worse than both these things, this false teaching was leading to legalism, the attempt to gain uh, favor of God uh, by Torah observance, that's verses 15 and 16, legalism, and nomism, nomism, uh, which is uh, that one remains in God's good graces through our good works. That's verses 17 to 21. So if you're keeping uh, notes, that would be a nice breakout of, of this passage. Let's look again at those first two verses, 15 and 16. Paul essentially is saying, listen, I, I'm a Jew, like you. So who's he writing this to? He's, he's addressing those in power, those Jewish believers in Yeshua, the Messiah. He says, I'm a Jew like you from birth. I, I'm not like those Gentiles who aren't even attempting or interested in following God's perfect law. We know, however, that we are justified, we are made right with God. This is a, a legal, forensic word meaning to change from being condemned to acquitted. Paul says we are justified uh, not, not just from being condemned by the judge, but being declared righteous, not by trying to keep the law, but on the basis of faith, of trust, of belief in Jesus Christ. Mrs. Demadio summed it up so perfectly for the children. This is the heart of the gospel. It's faith and trust and leaning on and relying on God in Jesus Christ. And he says, that's true of me and of you and for all of the Old Testament believers in, the, in their salvation. And it's now also true for Gentiles. If people uh, could be sinless and perfectly obey God's beautiful moral standard, more power to them. But the reality is none of us can. None of us can keep the law perfectly. 
or have a perfect credit score. But Paul says, he's saying that it is impossible for anyone to meet that standard. Now, we don't have time to cover it today, but in chapter 3, he's going to go on to say this view of justification by faith alone, getting right with God by faith alone is taught throughout the Old Testament. He explains this in a very persuasive manner, even while first century rabbis did not teach that. The point he's making here is that no human effort or merit can be added to faith as a basis for getting right with God. But he's not done. See, these false teachers might be thinking, oh, okay, uh, that's how we're justified, that's how we get in, but we've got to keep up with the law, don't we, in order to maintain our status? Don't we have to maintain our, our gold membership status with all the good works that we do? And so Paul goes on to say, in effect, you think because I'm okay with eating with Gentile brothers and sisters that I'm in big trouble? I've got news for you. You are the ones that are in big trouble. Look at verse 17. He says, If I were to go back to the old thinking that I had to prove myself by the Mosaic Code, if I taught what you are suggesting, that the really spiritual people had to obey the law code, then I'd be the first to admit I'm a transgressor. If that's the standard, that now that you're a Christian, you need to keep God's law perfectly in order to maintain your status, Paul's saying, I'm the first to say, send me back to coach. Get me off this crazy train because I don't deserve it. And I would be under the law all over again. That's verse 18. Verse 19, he says, no, he says, I died to the law. I died to it. It showed me my great need for grace, the third use of the law. It drove me to my knees uh, at the foot of the, the Almighty. But look at verse 20. He's been so angry, he's so pent up with frustration that these people are not getting it, that they're choosing to label who are the good ones and who are the bad ones, that they're passing judgment on others. I mean, this is the moment in this letter that he finally breaks and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because Jesus was born under the law and kept it perfectly, and he died to redeem those who had transgressed, we can be united with Christ by faith. That means, namely, our past sinful identity is nailed to the cross with him at the same time that his indwelling in us becomes our new resurrected life. So we're now freed from our past sins by union in his death and free to live with him in union to his life. The the false teachers were nullifying God's love, graciously poured Uh, provided in the union by seeking to supplant Christ's death and resurrection with our human effort. You would come and worship and say, thank you, O Lord, for your great sacrifice. And I hope that you also appreciate all that I'm doing for you. 
Paul says, no. If that were so, then Christ died for nothing. But by faith alone, we're to trust Christ day by day, moment by moment. And then Christ begins to work in and through us by giving us spiritual effectiveness by his Holy Spirit. So now you do what you do for God, but it's oriented in a whole new kind of motivation. You're not motivated out of fear or doubt of your status. You're motivated out of gratitude. I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve my Lord. Our acceptance Our acceptance on his finished work becomes a new and stronger motive for obeying God. So the law showed me that I can't live up to his perfect standard, so I stopped living for the law. I died to it as my Savior. Now I obey and live by the precepts for life, not to get something from God, but to please him. Do you know, Paul said, as I mentioned, that the Old Testament taught this. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, Isaiah says of our good works, all those good things that you people do, and you do so many good things. But he says to God, on their own, they're like filthy rags. And so we come and we have a a funeral service, and people come to the pulpit and say how wonderful this person was, how worthy they are, all the great things they did. And it's almost as if we're trying to have an incantation, oh God, accept them because they're one of the good ones. Look at their life and their legacy. And as beautiful as their life and legacy is, that is not how you get into heaven. It's by believing and trusting and leaning on Christ alone. Here's the good news. Listen. God doesn't wait until you are good enough or righteous enough or a goody two-shoes before he justifies us. Otherwise, it would never happen. But while we are still sinners, he counts us righteous in his sight. Justification by faith is not a process of transformation. It's not a, well, we'll see how it's going. Hey, Andy, how are you doing today? Let's see, how's your status going with this justification thing? We'll figure it out at the end of your life. It's one and done. Soon as the judge says, not guilty, you walk out of that courtroom, and that judge in the courtroom becomes your father in the living room. The judge under whose sentence you were condemned, who ruled you not guilty, becomes your father in the living room, drawing you closer to hear about your day and to share his love. Does that make sense? I, I see some heads nodding. I don't think that makes sense at all. I, I think that does not make sense at all. I think the idea of God justifying sinners, people who do not deserve it, is absolutely radical. Now, all religions teach that, that what would make sense, what is sensible is God justifies the good ones. God looks out and sees the good ones in the crowd, and he handpicks the good people, but not the bad people. 
And maybe he'll give them a second chance, but God justifies the good ones, the ones that are trying their best at least. That makes sense. You know what else makes sense? Quid pro quo. That makes sense. I do these good things for you, God, and you do good things for me. That makes sense. I'm a nice person. I raised my kids in the church. I paid my taxes. I helped out with trunk or treat. I even did a a trunk as Jamie twisted my arm. I'm a good person. What are you going to do for me, God? You're going to bless me, right, God? But the gospel says God justifies the unworthy, the wicked, And that is radical. That we are simultaneously just, righteous, right with God, and sinners. And someone wrote me a letter uh, this past week saying, Pastor P, I I liked your sermon, but you mentioned that you're still a sinner. And that's that's not right. You're, You're not a sinner anymore. I am a sinner. Now listen, from one perspective... I'm righteous and just. Because in Christ, we are declared, counted, and reckoned to be righteous when God imputes upon us this alien righteousness, this covering over us. But from another perspective, from the perspective of my life, I'm still a sinner. Romans 7, I do the things I don't want to do, the things I I, I want to do, I, I don't do. So from that perspective, does anyone still need some work? But from this perspective, I'm right with God. That is the heart of the gospel. Listen, the gospel is so easy to understand. Believe in Jesus, trust in him. And it's so easy to lose. Soon as you understand it, You start patting yourself on the back and then you lose it. Say, I got the gospel. These five got memorized and you start to lose it. You start to put people in categories. You start to look for the good ones. You start looking in the mirror and missing what you're seeing. Instead of living out of gratitude, Motivated by grace through faith in Christ alone, we start to think his grace is contingent on what kind of day we're having. So if I'm having a good day, the sun is shining, prayers are being answered, I say, thank you, Lord, for blessing me in my life. Because I know I'm doing it right by you. And the moment I'm feeling sad or blue and having a bad day, Oh, God's abandoned me. Where's God in all of this? He's far away. Whether God's grace is subject to how well we perform or that, or that to really be sure that we're saved, we have to jump through a series of hoops. And we end up motivating ourselves and then each other by fear and shame. It's the message of Galatians. Is that relevant today in the church? That people are motivated out of fear and shame 
being called out, rather than being motivated by gratitude and humble reliance and grace and God's love. And someone here is saying, yeah, but pastor, yeah, but that faith is important, but, but what about the things we do? And I want to bring you right up to the edge and just say, it's all grace. That's what Paul was confronting in Galatians. That's why sola fide is so important to the church today. The subtle danger that we can pervert the gospel and divide the church. Paul insists that Jesus came to tear down walls between people, not to build them up. In him, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. 328. Faith in him alone, resting upon him alone, not anyone's set of rules, opens the door to God's acceptance. John Calvin said justification is the main hinge of which salvation turns. He makes us worthy, acceptable, redeemed, beloved. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your Son, our Redeemer, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. Father, if I trust in my own record to get into heaven, I'll I'll be done in. But when by your Spirit we are granted faith, our eyes are opened and we see your Son's record covers us. So, Lord, may we plead the merits of Christ alone before your throne of grace instead of anything that we've done or can do. It's only what he has accomplished and what has been applied to us. We thank you for faith. Even faith is a gift of your grace. We pray, O oh God, that we would have more faith this day. Amen. 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 Let's stand for